The Brooklyn Vegan Show is a podcast about music brought to you by the music blog and online record store Brooklyn Vegan. Make sure to subscribe to hear all of our upcoming episodes featuring interviews with musicians and more, and find us 24-7 at brooklynvegan.com, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Welcome to the new episode of the Brooklyn Vegan Show. I'm BV editor Andrew Sacker, and today's episode is with Mike York, guitar player for Pianos Become the Teeth. If you're unfamiliar, pianos were part of the new wave of post-hardcore that took off in the late 2000s and early 2010s, alongside bands like Touche Amore, La Dispute, Defeater, Balance of Composure, Title Fight, bands that sort of took post-hardcore back underground, created their own sort of DIY circuit of bands, and eventually got a lot of attention and kind of blew up on a more mainstream level. Uh, and a lot of those bands, including pianos, are still making amazing music today. In our conversation, we talked about those early days, those DIY tours that pianos and their peers did before they had too many eyes on them. And we also talked about the moment where those bands all kind of started to take off. They all sort of, a lot of them signed to Epitaph around the same time, uh, including pianos who were actually the first of their friends to go to the label. Um, and they helped bring a lot of attention to that scene. And, you know, that's the reason why people are still paying attention today. And Pianos have a great new record called Drift. Uh, we talk a lot about that record. It's a little darker and weirder than what the band has done before. And we get into some of the influences behind it and the way it was recorded. They did it at Mike's uncle's cabin in the woods. They use analog tape echo. Uh, we talk about the band's upcoming tour, including dates with reunited Screamo legends Jerome Stream. We talk about the Baltimore scene that pianos are part of, alongside everyone from Beach House to Turnstile to JPEG Mafia. It was a super fun chat. There's a lot more in there, and uh, here it is. So to start, I'm going to, I mean, this is, I can. we're on video, I can see you. It's a podcast, mm. no one can see us. So no one will see it, but I'm going to steal a note from Nardwar. And I'm going to show you a funny artifact. Sounds good. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, this is the poster of my first Pianos Become the Teeth show. Uh, it's uh, Touche Amore, Code Orange when they were Code Orange kids. Yeah, yeah. Sea Haven. And it was at SUNY Purchase and Level Up, who at the time were just a purchase band, were on that bill. Oh, build. man. Okay. <laughs> I remember. I'm trying to remember now. Um I remember playing that show and I, there's a, a, a specific picture. So I had a picture of that. I was taken at that show that I had like six layers of like a hoodie on a flannel on a jacket on a coat on. It was like, for some reason I had like 15 layers of clothes and I remember it was taken at that, at that show. But I, yeah, I love that show, man. That was a great, a really fun time. For sure. Yeah. That was, I mean, was that, it was, that wasn't your only time playing purchase, was it? Um, that's a good question. I think it was probably now that I think about it. Um, cause that was actually our first tour that wasn't a like DIY booked tour, uh, you know, just doing basements and stuff that, yeah, Touche took us out for their first headline run. And so that was the first time we had ever actually done anything that, you know, wasn't in, you know, basements and stuff like that. It was mainly doing like, you know, actual venues and things. So that might have actually been the only time we did play there, but I could be wrong. I, mm -hmm. I, I feel like at this point, there's so much that kind of blends into one giant thing uh, that it's it's just like this goo of how many shows we've played before that I think like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember this and that. But I think that might have been the only time now that I can think about it. Mm. 
yeah, it's a it was a cool place for shows. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I uh, I guess I guess it was Touche. I think played there at least twice because I remember they played like when to beat a dead to the beat of a dead horse came out or mm-hmm. I'm saying that wrong. Um, and then like came back for this one, and it was like way more people came this time. Ah, uh, um, yeah, yeah, but, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, no, it was awesome, man. I had a great yeah. time. I had a really good time. Yeah. Um. So just like thinking about that era, like, and you were just saying too, like, you know, your shows before that were just these like DIY basements and stuff. Um, I feel like it's just like a fascinating thing to look back, like the scene that you and, and your friends like Touche and La Dispute and kind of stuff like sort of built um, is wild. Cause like, yeah, it just was these like DIY basement shows and you kind of built like this ecosystem of just like you found the other like-minded people from like across the country and then, like, fast forward five years, and it's like critical acclaim, Epitaph Records, and can you like uh, yeah. sort of reflect a bit on like those those DIY shows and stuff, and like what it was like before anybody was paying attention? Oh man, yeah. I mean, so let me think here. So the first real thing that we tried to we did we we tried to do our first big U.S. tour, like our first time that was like. I mean, some of our goals, like initially in the band was, at least for me, was like, I just want to see California. I've never been out there. I, I just, I just want to be able to see the country and do something. And um, so in 2009, we had done a bunch of like smaller, you know, one week, two week, maybe even like 20 some day tours prior to this. But in 2009, we booked our first like, you know, 35 day trek across the US. We were going to do a month. Let's, you know, just hit everywhere that we can. And, um, you know, the shows were fine, you know, nothing at the time, like amazing because we were just playing shows, you know, but like mm-hmm. hindsight's twenty twenty, So you can always kind of reflect on that. But, it, um, we got to Iowa and we were supposed one of the, one of the shows we were really looking forward to, there used to be this place called, uh, the ghost house in, um, Iowa in Des Moines and, or no, 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 sorry. In Nebraska, maybe might've been Nebraska. Either way, it was one of those. And um, we were really looking forward to playing the show and our van just blew up and we were stuck in Iowa for, uh, yeah, we were stuck in Iowa. The show was in Nebraska. We were stuck in Iowa for like four days, Uh, finally got the van repaired and then ended up getting all the way across the country, played a bunch more shows, you know, just trying to make catch up with the rest of the tour, do everything. And, um, you know, at the time, you know, and this is 2009. So like mid 2009, we had just put out old pride, um, as like some friends of ours put out like the CD of it for us to like, you know, play and take across the country and stuff like that. And, you know, there was this weird kind of like bubbling thing happening kind of in the atmosphere of a lot of these bands doing, I mean, not that we were even considered or that, not that we really consider ourselves so much like, a a part of most of it. We were just playing shows because we wrote a record. So it was like, we wrote a record, play shows. Some of our protege that we were looking up to so much was like this band from Baltimore called Ruiner. And um, Ruiner would, their whole ethos was just like, you just tour nonstop. Tour nonstop. Eventually people will pick up on you. But the only way to do anything is to tour nonstop. And, you know, that's almost 15 years ago now. But like thinking about it then, it was like, that's the only way we're ever going to be able to get any of our name out there with anything so we just pretty much took their kind of uh 
kind of ethos with us and started booking shows and touring as much as we could. And by some stroke of luck, man, I mean, between 2009 and 2010, funny enough in 2000. So after that initial tour, like that 2009 tour, I was like, man, I, there is no way I'm going to be able to convince these dudes to go back out on tour again after like a van breaking down. It's costing us so much money. Um, but we did, you know, like it, we were all young and just like, yeah, well, why the hell not? Like, why wouldn't you? Like we got nothing else going on. So we would constantly be doing tours and tours. And then in the summer of 2010, we played a place in somewhere in California. I can't remember exactly where it was at, but um, Elliot, who plays drums in Touche now, was in another band. And we played with his band and a bunch of other bands at this shed somewhere in the middle of uh, California. And you know, we got along really good with him and just like a lot of the other bands that were playing. It was just kind of like making friends. You know, we were just literally going to shows, making friends, playing the show, moving on, and then just do that for, you know, 50 nights in a row. And then eventually when Touche started, when they put out to the beat of a dead horse, they were playing Charm City Art Space in Baltimore. And when they showed up, Elliot was in the van with them. We were like, holy shit, man. Like, how did you like... Are, are you in this band now? And he had just joined, really. And he had been telling them, like, oh, like, I played with this band in California. You guys got to play. We got to play with them. And we ended up playing with them in Baltimore. It was just these, like, kind of connections. You know, it really became, like, this kind of super organic thing where you just, like, go to a show. You talk with the band that you just dig the vibe that they are. And then you just form a friendship. And it really became that way pretty much 2009 on, we just started playing shows with, um, you know, Touche. We would play shows with, we played shows with Balance of Composure when they came through doing a uh, South by run, Lemuria, um, you know, Defeater, Make Do and Men, like all these bands. We just ended up just being friends, really. And then I honestly don't know what happened, but it seemed like, the stuff that all of our bands were doing kind of started catching in some way. And um, we just kind of rode with it in the way of just it being fun. It was never like a, uh, man, we got to like capitalize on this or do, it was just like we were touring nonstop because it was fun and we got to see our friends a lot. And then our friends would ask us to go on tour with them. And it was like, of course, why not? And we all just kind of grew together in these kind of super organic way. And it really just came down to the fact that it was just a blast being around our friends. And we just happened to get to write records that people thankfully enjoyed and gave us a really, you know, a really uh, amazing career because of that. Um, you know, those shows were a blast because it's like in real time, you could really see kind of like from the start of the tour to an end of a tour, you know, in the days before Instagram and all that stuff, I mean, you would like get emails from people or you'd start seeing like your name pop up in message boards and stuff. And it was like, Oh, cool. Like people dig what we're doing. So yeah, it just, it was cool, man. I mean, it was really just like a really organic growth that it was an excuse to hang out with friends. And we're just really, really lucky that it caught on and anybody really gave a damn about it. So like, I I'm beyond thankful for that. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I mean, not not to like exaggerate things, I guess, but like in a way, it almost reminds me sort of of like the narrative in our bank and beer life. You know, like it's kind of interesting because it's like the internet was around for this, but it was almost like even with the internet existing, you guys and 
like-minded bands kind of just like you said like you followed Runer's advice and you're like took to the road and did it just like oh like you're from california you're in baltimore like we'll put you up here like you can play a show with us totally. and it just, yeah it felt very like that because it's so interesting too how like you know like people throw around the word scene but like all these bands are from different cities and totally. um yeah and it was all just like that sort of word of mouth like yeah it's very like cool organic thing that happened and in reality it was really interesting too because i mean while i do think people always kind of put the monk here on all the bands of like oh if you like lot of spew you'll like touche and stuff but i i really never thought any of our bands really sounded like one another um i think we had the same kind of um ethos with just wanting to make like music that was like emotionally captivating as well as interesting musically and just stuff that we wanted to hear um so I think something that I loved from it was the fact that all of those bands sounded so vastly different really from each other, but we all got to kind of create something together, you know? For sure. And I think it makes sense. Like the fact that you liked each other's music, it would make sense that a fan might like, you're like, Oh, well, if I'm in Pianos Become the Teeth and I like Lie Dispute, then people totally, who, yeah. You know, like totally. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was also just like, you know, speaking from the perspective of someone who, watched those shows like um you know this was like the late 2000s this was like peak yeah. warp tour and like i don't want to like diss anybody in particular but you know it was like very like that real kind of cheesy metalcore stuff was taking over and then all sure. of a sudden there were like these bands making like post-hardcore or whatever you might call it that spoke to you know what i think a lot of people were looking for had liked in the past and totally and so like i remember the first time i heard like La Dispute were probably the first one I heard. And I was like, I can't believe a band like this exists. You know, like, mm -hmm. I was oh, just totally, like, I didn't, totally. you know, like. Yeah, man, I feel like, uh, man, like the first time I remember hearing um, when Funeral Diner had the Underdark and like uh, one of the bands that kind of sprung from that, that both Chad and I were like, holy shit, was when that band Who Calls So Loud came out, that there were like the, uh, members of portraits of past and funeral diner and stuff and when we heard that record it was like i can't believe a band like this exists it's like hev heavy depressing country screamo ambient like whatever it is like this is what i'm into and yeah i, I don't know i just feel like yeah just like try you, you really see kind of this stuff take shape with a lot of like oh you like this band you'll like this band and just kind of bleeds out from there it's it's still mind-blowing to me sometimes that people um, like our band. I mean, it's 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 really humbling a lot of times to be able to be like, we've had so many amazing opportunities that people even give a damn about what we do. That it's just to be even the same breath as a lot of a lot of the bands that people talk about or even think they're influential is just like kind of kind of crazy to me. <laughs> And I mean, we're at the point now where like, I mean, Pianos Become a Teeth is an influential band. Like there's a whole new generation uh, yeah. of bands <laughs> that totally cite you guys and Touche and La Dispute and Defeater and like all those bands. And Which is insane. I mean, I, I don't even, I don't think that will ever settle in with me that, <laughs> that like I could be somebody's favorite band. I just, it's such a hard thing for me to like wrap my head around, which I think is amazing. I mean, it's just like, there, there's literally no better feeling than that to me. It's funny because like, so I literally just uh, recorded an episode with Dan Campbell from The Wonder Years. Mm -hmm. He said exactly the same thing. He was like, I have to understand 
that there are people who look at my band the way I look at the Get Up Kids, and that makes no sense to me. Totally, totally, yeah. man. And it's it's really hard to grasp that. Um, I'm beyond thankful for it, but it's just mm-hmm. so hard to grasp that anybody would care. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about when you know people started to care on a very on a bigger level. Like, I mean, you and basically all your friends signed to Epitaph like around the same time. How like who was like the first band to go to Epitaph, and how did that whole sort of like um, Exodus or not's the wrong word yet, but you know what I mean. Like yeah, migration. Yeah, yeah. To, yeah. I honestly think we were the first ones. Okay. Um, I think we signed in 2013. I think it was 2013. We were on tour with La Dispute for their um, uh, Rooms of the House headline run. And we kind of had the bubblings of like, oh, yeah, like we'll. Um, you know, have a few meetings with some other labels to like, just kind of know where we're going. They have the demos of the stuff we're writing. And, uh, you know, Brett from Epitaph was just beyond kind with everything and was just like, would love to talk to you guys. would love to come out. And we met with him and, you know, we, at that point, we really were looking to do everything we possibly could do as a band while retaining everything that we were going to do as a band regardless like we had already had the record written so it's like if if you dig where we're going um then i think we're like it was almost like if, if you hear these demos and you can hear where we're going with this then i think we'll be in good company with a lot of this stuff so i think at the time law dispute was doing rooms of the house which was self-released but through their label, which was through, I think, like Vagrant or something within that realm. Touche was still on Death Wish. Um, Defeater was still, I think, on Bridge Nine. I think like most of our friends' bands were still doing what they were doing. Um, but I think, yeah, we pulled the trigger doing going with Epitaph. And then I think it was shortly after, you know, all of our friends' bands started coming over to that. Um, and not saying that we set a trend with it or anything, but, but, but I think like, um, it felt, honestly, it felt really good to be able to be like, we were the ones that, uh, got to be like, man, I have been listening to Epitaph samplers and Epitaph bands since literally I was eight years old. So the fact that I'm having lunch with Brett Gerwitz and he cares at all about my band is like mind blowing to me. Um, and it just, the vibe of them being excited about what we were doing was exciting. Um, so literally there's like, there's, there was no reservation. It was like, they're so excited about it. We're excited about it. They've literally given us like free reign to do whatever the hell we want with everything. And they always have. So it's like, why would we not do this? Like there's, I can't think of a reason not to. And, um, especially at the time where it was like, we were definitely edging on something where we were writing demos and was like, this sounds really different than kind of like the lack long after era stuff. Um, but you can see the through line and the thread that I think we were kind of placing from old pride to lack to the hiding, like to hide, like the split with touche. Like there was a through line that you could hear us moving into like a interesting, more melodic grip of a lot of stuff, but trying to retain that kind of intensive, like that, emotional intensity i guess um and i think right then when we when we did that tour it was uh yeah we did that lot of speed tour and then we went 
right, basically right afterwards, I believe we went on tour with a co-headline run with Tiger's Jaw. And it, that I think we could all see was like the kind of turning point of like, we'd, we'd play shows and it was like, yep, there's, you know, you, you sold out of records tonight or you sold out of shirts or you're playing and there's 200 kids that know the words to every song that you're playing. And we had never had that. I mean, I think pianos has always been kind of like a, um, a band's band, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, I feel like there are plenty of our friends and peers and stuff who've gotten way bigger audience wise than us by far. But I think we hold our own with our friends and hold a lot with like kind of how people, uh, or not necessarily hold our own, but I think like a lot of times, uh, we, kind of fall into this very niche pocket that a lot of our friends really dig and our fans that who do love our band, like really love our band. And that Tiger's Jaw tour was the moment that felt like, man, maybe this is bigger than what we thought it was. Uh, maybe this is growing. Maybe this is something that we had not thought of before. And we literally did that tour. It was like probably about six or seven weeks. And then we were home for one day and then flew to Australia to do uh, another tour with La Dispute. So from pretty much March through August, we were out on tour. Um, and you could see that kind of trajectory coming up of being like, man, this is wild that this is actually happening and stuff is happening. And, you know, when we uh, put out Old Pride, or Old Pride, uh, when we put out Keep You, um, we kind of knew that it was going to be this, like, um, there's probably going to be a lot of people that are going to have, like, the what the fuck moment with that with that but that was that was exciting like like i've always been in the boat of like wanting to challenge both myself as well as the people that dig what you do just to like grow you know it, it, it you can't just stick in the same pocket forever and i think when that record finally settled in and we started playing on it we played like riot fest in De um in chicago like was our first show on that like just in the fall when it started coming out and it was pouring down rain. And as we're setting up in, in the, in the rain, it was like this flood of like 1500, 2000 people like came to our stage and it was just like, Holy shit. Like this is crazy that this is even something people want to watch. So yeah, there was like this slow upper trajectory. And I, I've always loved the fact that our band always kind of felt like it was going on that. We've always been a slow burn, you know, it's, we, we never went from zero to a hundred, you know, within the span of like a month, but like, We've always been a slow burn that's taken us, you know, over, you know, 15 years or so to, to get to the place that we're at today. And I think we're continuing to be a slow burn. And I think that's, that's okay with me. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, what's really cool about the new record is like, um, you know, like since, um, wait for love, I, I mean, I guess wait for love was also four years after no, but it was, this one's a little bit longer of a gap, right? Cause that wave yeah. was really early in 20. Yeah. So it's like a little bit longer of a gap. There's a pandemic. Yeah. You kind of hit the 10 year mark. You did the tour again with Touche where you did the old records. And so I feel like there's almost like this little, like there's this like moment in time. You're like, all right, like pianos have become the teeth are now like, you know, you've been able to reflect on the older days and like, totally. this is the, and so like, sometimes you see bands, like I'm sure we can all think of bands where, they hit that point where like, you know, it starts to become like, okay, we've been around, we're established. People want a certain thing from us. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you see bands fall into the trap of like, we're going to go back to maybe like our most popular record. 
what I think is really cool about the new pianos record is that it sounds like the progression from wait for love, you know, like it's just like you, you're yeah. right. It took a while. You had celebrated the old records anniversary, but then you got right back on track and it's this forward trajectory. And thank you. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah. I, I hope, I hope that people like hear it that way. I think we were actually at practice last night and talking about it, how it was like trying to kind of build a set list with these songs, with old records and stuff. And it's interesting to see how, some of the new stuff actually fits in with like it, it fits in more interestingly when we try to play like lack long after stuff and it's like this kind of fits in better than maybe like wait for love did and though it's it's really cool to kind of see how just we as a band have kind of gone back and forth with creating stuff that is even challenging for us i mean it's 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 cool i'm i'm super proud of being able to do that Totally. And you did this record with Kevin Bernstein, who produced mm -hmm. the first two, right? Yep, yep. Like, do you think that has anything to do with maybe, like, it fitting in with the older stuff, in a way? or um, I, I'm sure. Um, but mm -hmm. I think it can't even be distilled down to that. I mean, Kevin, um, I will sing Kevin's praises to, like, anyone who will listen. Because Kevin literally made the development of this record so so easy like we spent like and no exaggeration not straight but like over the course of we we started this record recording it in january of 2021 and the recording process really didn't end until september i mean we spent most of the year like recording and then uh scrap that let's go back and redo this whole song or scrap that let's we need to add this part or you know, we had been doing demo, we'd go to my uncle's house and write a bunch and then come back, reflect on the demos, uh, go back to my uncle's house, pull all the demos apart and then redo them. And we, Kevin gave us the time and energy to be able to do that in the studio too. And I think he was just a really good voice to help us kind of stay on track um, with being able to develop a lot of the wildest ideas that we really wanted, but being able to really make them come to fruition. Because it's like, so much of this record were like idea like i mean as simple as something like the bass part like the big heavy bass part in skiv um was something that david and i were joking around at my uncle's house one night like super late and was just like what if we did this bass part but it was all of zach's pedals every single one of them was on what would that sound like and it was a lot of doing stuff like that on the record that i'm sure kevin or any other producer would have been like, oh my God, this is such a waste of time. Like, why are you doing this? But Kevin allowed us to like chase these things. And we had really never had an opportunity to do that, to like really chase a lot of these stranger ideas. And like, what if it sounded like this? Or what if we did this? And, you know, he has just been such an integral part to like creating what we wanted to create with this record that I do think sonically, you know, Kevin is a purist too. Like, everything on the record is exactly what it is in this. Like those guitars are guitars. The drums are drums. There's no sound replacement. There's no auto tune stuff. There's no, I mean, it's like an analog, it's an analog record. So it's like, you know, what you get is what you get. And I think being able to work with Kevin and work within, I wouldn't even call it a limitation, but work within that confine of like trying to create something that really felt that way. I think, we wouldn't have been able to do that with anybody else. So, I mean, I think that really lends itself like a 
I think that really makes the record sound the way that it should sound, or at least what we thought it should sound like. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. Do, is it like, was the pandemic kind of part of why you had the time to like fool around with those crazier ideas? Um, well, you know, I think, um, I mean, obviously just like with everybody else being not going to a job and not have it like not being able to do anything other than sit down and make music definitely was something that none of us really had ever really had an opportunity to do. So, um, being able to like, you know, just sit and do that for a while. But I mean, with every, with all of, even with wait for love or keep you, I mean, we would go away together for like a week at a time and just write at some secluded place. Um, because we learned, especially on the keep you cycle that it was like, for old pride and lack we would like basically go to band practice write a song and then come back and practice a couple times a week and just try to write songs and it became to be kind of hard to do that and then we decided what it would what would it be like if we just went away for you know i got really inspired by like when i was reading how justin vernon would go away like you know write you know in his dad's cabin for you know a week and just try to write something and record stuff and i was like i think we could do something really cool if we just spend you know, we already spend so much time together on tour. Let's just spend a week together in a secluded place and just write and see what happens. And it really helped us kind of hone in a lot of the ideas. And, you know, in 24 hours a day, your only thing that you have to worry about is writing music. You can really come up with some ideas that maybe you wouldn't have in the three hour band practice that you would have had. So I think being able to like take the time and do that was an important thing. But pandemic or not, I mean, I think that we would have probably still put together the record with us going away together and trying to pull it apart, put it back together, pull it apart. We're, we're just crazy like that. I mean, I think we're, we're just, we're like for better or for worse. I mean, we're just crazy when it comes to like, Oh, this can be better. This can be weirder. This can be more interesting. This can be this. And you know, sometimes that can be to your detriment, but sometimes that can be to, you know, a positive thing. But for the most part, I feel like um, it really worked in our favor to be able to go away and spend time together doing it. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Did, did you film any of those sessions just like hanging out all day writing songs? Yeah, I have like a bunch of random. It's like, again, another hindsight 2020 thing. I wish that I would have done more. Um, but uh, I have like a bunch of stuff, just like random clips that I've put together in this. It's like a minute long video. That's almost kind of funny to look at your last like three, four years of your life distilled down to like a minute. and uh it kind of is like poetic in the way of like how it feels like with a record you know you spend years writing it and recording it and getting it mastered and sequencing and the artwork and and everything and it's all your hard work is distilled down to like 35 minutes that's some that somebody can put on on spotify and say like eh whatever and then just like like pass or whatever so um I filmed a bunch of it, um, probably not as much as I wanted to, especially now that like my wife and I doing um, kind of getting into doing the music video stuff. I really wish I would have done more. Um, that way I could have really made like a proper kind of not documentary. I'm definitely not in the, I'm not a filmmaker of that thing, but I, I wish we could have had a lot of more behind the scenes stuff because I just, I always love that stuff when bands do that. So I, I'm sure I'll put out or put together all the, stuff that we do have at some point and put it out. But um, yeah, I wish I had more though. Yeah. Cause it sounds like a great documentary subject, you know, like band goes to a cabin for a week. Like 
It's cool, man. I mean, especially my uncle's cabin. It's this 1970s. Uh, it's it's round. It's like a round house that the entire face of it. And it's in the woods in Basie, Virginia, and the entire thing of it is just lined in windows. So when you wake up in the morning, it's just all you're looking at is the woods. And we built these two like makeshift studios to where downstairs was our like live tracking area, and then the upstairs would be like our kind of control room. So we would you know, all make breakfast together, listen to the demos, talk about them. And then we'd go downstairs and work for six hours and then come upstairs for lunch, listen to what we recorded, talk about it, you know, have a beer, go out on the deck, talk about like, where could this go? And then you inevitably somebody would make their way downstairs and start riffing on something. And then somebody would join them and then somebody would join them. And then all of a sudden you have a song that's like, oh, this is interesting. And the organic process of doing that is amazing. And on top of it all, man, it's just like, especially, you know, we're all getting older. I mean, I'll be 35 next week. And it's like, um, and by no means do I think I'm old, but like, you get older and life has its own responsibilities, has its own things that start taking over the other stuff that you do. And any opportunity that I get to be able to hang out with my bandmates who truly, I mean, in no exaggeration, I mean, they are my best friends. Like, these are the these are the people that like I hang out with on you know whenever I can hang out with people they're the people that I hang out with and it's like I'm so lucky to be in a band of people that not only are just like incredible musicians but they're my best friends that the opportunity of being able to go away and be together writing stuff it's just like I, I really am thankful for that so yeah I mean it's 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 been a cool it was a cool cool thing to do I'm very thankful for it yeah no it sounds awesome. Um, just to go back a little bit to the producer topic. So you mm. did this one with Kevin. The last two were with Will Yip. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Will has like, like defined the sound of like the whole scene. Um, like what kind of made you be like, all right, we let's work with Kevin again. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, Will is a dream. He's definitely another dude who's just been one of our biggest fans and just such an incredible friend and a great guy. I think just, uh, you know, as it was in the first, you know, we did the first two records with Kevin and, but it, it was not even like a, it wasn't even like a, Oh, we don't like this. We need to go to somebody new. It was just, Hey, what would it, what would happen if we went to somebody else? And so we went to Will and after doing two records with Will, it was like, well, now that we have 10 years removed from recording with Kevin, what would it be like if we as the band now, the iteration of like the kind of stuff we're creating now, we went back to Kevin, like, cause he's always been, again, like a huge supporter of everything that we've done. And it was like, why not? Like, you know, we, our whole thing was that we just wanted to work with, you know, somebody was going to be like super excited about what we were doing. And Kevin was just like, dude, let's just like book as much time as you want and let's make the wildest thing we can. Like, let's, let's, really try to make something crazy and he was just so excited about it and we were excited about kind of being uh so close like going um into a studio that's familiar and a friend that we can be totally like i think this idea sucks man like we can't do like just being to totally forthright with somebody or being totally honest with somebody during a recording process is super important and kevin just I don't know. He just, I, I think really knew what we were going for. And the other side of it is again, he's like such a purist that 
sonically what we were going for for this record, I think kind of only could have been achieved by somebody who was going to just let us do our thing and let's let, let everything breathe the way that it should. Like, don't worry about perfect, perfect, you know, quote unquote, perfect takes, um, the perfect guitar sound, the perfect whatever sound. And just like, if it vibes with the song and it meshes and it seems right, that's the kind of shit that we need to just like hone in on and really do. Um, and Kevin just was so excited about it that we were so excited to work with him that it was just like, it was, it was a no brainer. And plus he lives like no exaggeration, maybe six minutes from my house. He lives maybe about five minutes from Kyle, maybe 15 minutes from Chad. Like just, he's so close and local that there could be a day where it was like, like I would be in my studio and uh, be like, oh man, I just came up with this like wild synth thing with a guitar part. I'm going to bounce it to a stem and I'm just going to send it to you. Just drop it in the session. I'll be over tomorrow. And like being able to have like, that kind of just repertoire with somebody that you can just send them something and then go check it out later tomorrow. And he'll have it in the mix is like such a loose kind of amazing opportunity that it was kind of a no brainer, you know, for sure. You mentioned earlier that you did the record with like analog tape. Um, Was that a first for the band or. So we, so we didn't do the record to tape. We actually, um, we, there's a lot of tape on the record. Um, Like, every like vocal delay all of like this one kind of through line thread that you'll hear in the record is these weird degrading kind of loops that are happening and all those loops are recorded on this like 1960s like echoplex like tape echo that my boss let us borrow and so uh it was almost like trying to use that as like the the character like the characteristic of what the record was going to feel like almost like this degrading tape and these weird sounds kind of popping in and out that it that was intentional to kind of think of that to like try to use that but we didn't actually track the record itself to tape it was analog in the way that it was the only like front end of everything was analog so you know microphone to an analog preamp into a mixing console that kind of thing uh, it was dumped into Pro Tools for editing, but uh, we had done tape before with Kevin when we did Lack Long After. Um, and it was awesome. It was just Kevin's tape machine was broken, so we couldn't use it this go around. But uh, um, there's so much analog like in, in the record of using like tape. We had, every echo really is a tape echo. Um, the reverbs a lot of times were if they weren't on a pedal, I mean, it was done by reverb tanks, by moving microphones, by stuff that felt more like the way that you'd make a record if it was, you know, in the seventies instead of now. And there's something about the room sound of something that makes feel like, at least personally to me, like just being kind of like a nerd about that kind of stuff myself. Like when you can hear a room or hear a space, I think you can build what that looks like in your head, which makes it even more intimate to yourself as a listener that you can really put yourself in the space. And I really wanted that sound to really come through on the record. And I think Kevin killed it with being able to make it sound that way. Yeah. I think that comes through. I mean, um, like I can definitely, I can kind of picture in my head, the record and then like this round cabin and I can see it. Like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 for sure. That's awesome. Um, and like everybody loves a good cabin in the woods record story. Like totally, man. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what it was, man. And you know, it's funny. We actually had an entire record written before this uh, and we scrapped the whole thing. And 
uh, it's kind of like we, so our, uh, so Brian McTurnan and Paul Levitt, they're two producers that are also in Baltimore. They, uh, had a studio at this warehouse space that I actually work in, not the studio, but I build amps with my, uh, with a, my boss, um, in this warehouse. And Brian was going out on tour and basically gave me the keys to the studio and was just like, yo man, I know you guys are writing, just have fun. And this was like in the summer of 2019. And we had a bunch of demos and stuff that we were working on and all this stuff. And we got to the studio, man. And we literally just could not get like the songs just weren't there. Like we had a bunch of songs and they were cool, but it was like, I just don't think this is enough of a jump for us. Like, I feel like the songs are fine, but they're like, they just don't feel like a, a record. So we, we scrapped the entire thing. Uh, and it was like a weird time for our band, man. A lot of it being like, man, do we like it? Wh what do we do? Like, like we wrote a whole record and like, this doesn't even really feel right. Is this kind of like the end of this? And, you know, we just kind of shelved everything for months and then the pandemic hit and it was like, maybe we can try again, I guess. Um, but writing a whole record and then scrapping it was like the, the, the kind of like the rebirth of being like, you know what, we just need to do a no holds barred, like everybody's ideas just need to like come to light. Every weird idea, every weird thing that somebody wants to try, we really just need to make this like be as cool and as big as it can be. And I'm really happy we scrapped all that stuff because I mean, and, and when I mean scrapped, I mean, we had probably 12, songs something like that that we didn't even salvage anything to use on the new record i mean we really scrapped all of it tossed it out probably never will be heard and uh started from scratch and i'm really i'm really glad we did because i think it really gave us a new perspective on what we really wanted to do as a band and it breathed a whole new life into what we were doing do the recordings still exist they do uh, they do. They exist, but it'll so there's be... like a legendary lost pianos that come at teeth. Album. Yeah, yeah. People will for decades <laughs> seek out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny, man. I mean, some of them are instrumental. Some of them have some like scratch vocal stuff on them. But it, like, no joke. I mean, there's like t between ten and fifteen songs that we had that were just like, you know, now just in the ether. They just disappeared, and it's also something nice about not being so precious about something and just letting it knowing within our band like this just isn't where we want to go like it like i know we can do better and um I'm, I'm just i'm really glad that we did now in between the last two records you kind of all did or not all but you had a few side projects mm -hmm. did that kind of like help maybe give you a chance to like get some ideas out that weren't going to be the next piano to come teeth record you know, I think honestly, at least personally for me, it almost did the opposite. It gave me more confidence to be able to introduce some of the kind of weirder, more uh, electronic stuff that mm -hmm. maybe might not have fit in earlier piano stuff or any other piano stuff that it gave me the confidence to know like, well, I think I can write something that would be kind of more interesting on like the electronic side that would that would fit our band. So I think instead of getting it out and not letting it influence pianos, it kind of did the flip where it like 
we got it out, but it luckily influenced the kind of right, the stuff right. that we were doing. And I think like, you know, we're all kind of people that want to stay busy doing stuff. We just really enjoy making things. I think everybody in our band just really enjoys creating. So I think it was just like the interest of like everybody kind of figuring out what other stuff they really enjoy doing. And I, I think in a way it really influenced how we could come together and, you know, write the best thing that we could. You always like me and Kyle always talk about how it's like when you write something, it's almost like right off the bat, you know, if it's going to be a, something that is going to be a pianos thing or a something else thing. And there's just something, some weird through line that all of us, you know, just know out of each other that, you know, you just know this person's really going to like this thing. A, a good example actually is on the new record. David actually came up with the ending to um, one of the songs on the record mouth. And he came up with this like super weird, like just really hard side chaining, like pumping kick drum that had this like weird, almost like heartbeat effect that it was just like an outer worldly thing. And I remember him playing the demo like to me after he'd come up with it, it was like, I think you're really going to dig this. And it's like my, one of my favorite parts of the whole record. So I think like being able to know where everybody's kind of coming from as well as their influences and knowing that it's influencing the band. I think we all kind of know how to write with each other in mind. And we started doing this thing on this record that David was always talking or was talking about where it's like coming up with something where it was like, who's in the driver's seat for this song um, which helped us. It, it was like this weird moment where it almost flipped all of our like mental ideas of like what a song needs because most musicians, I think, want to be continually writing something that they love or it's challenging to them or interesting to them. But sometimes that's not the thing that services the song the best. And, you know, this record really let us shine with a lot of that stuff where it was like, I don't care that I'm playing the same note for, you know, the entire intro or whatever. I'm not the focus of this part. The focus is Kyle's vocal or David's drum part or Zach's bass part or Chad's you know, melodic part, like that's okay. Um, and I think being able to kind of have that mentality really helped us create kind of the best sounding thing, regardless of who was doing what. For sure. I feel like you really need that just to like, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what were some of the maybe bigger, like shared musical influences on this record, like specific artists or songs? Oh man. Uh, um, that is a really hard question because I don't know. I, I don't know if there is like a lot of shared things. I think, or, like, or even some of yours personally, if that's so, easier. So, yeah. So some of mine personally were um, this artist Lorne. They're like an electronic artist that does like super heavy, dark textural electronic music. I just loved how he was able to convey unbelievably like dark and heavy emotion through these like big textural sounds like his his records sound like kind of fucked up and weird but like they're these just blown out analog out of tune weird sounding things that i think like um the idea of being imperfect and kind of things falling apart sonically and stuff just not uh like almost like the sense of unease that was probably like the biggest um, kind of movement for me, like making songs is trying to make stuff that just really uh, 
spoke on a deeper level emotionally. So it was like Lorne, this artist, um, um, Nomak released this uh, record that has like a visual component to it that's be absolutely beautiful. That was really, really amazing. Um, yeah, what else? I mean, um, yeah, it's strange because I feel like even a lot of this stuff, I didn't even approach guitar on this record with like, oh man, I want to write a guitar part. A lot of it was just like, I want to write a texture that work, works for this part. Um, I would, I've always really been in a portis head. So like creating kind of like the sonics of how dry a lot of their records were. Um, I really loved how like on our song Easy as well as Skiv, like everything is so dry. Um, it kind of brings you into this almost claustrophobic feeling that I loved how those early portis head records would do. Uh, my bloody valentine actually the loveless uh loveless record just how kind of insane it's mixed how there's just a, a million guitars but they just become this like almost wall of like moving static that i i love i just i feel like approaching the record more is uh not to sound like whatever but i i, I feel like i approaching it more as like an art project rather than it being like oh, these songs need to be singles. They need to be hits or whatever. I think just approaching them is like every song is tell is telling something or saying something. How can we write music that conveys that? And I think that was like the biggest thing, really trying to do well. Totally. Was it hard to pick singles? I, I think I, I want to say I read that maybe Kyle said that like, it's like, please listen to the record start to finish. Yeah. I think that was written somewhere. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's one of those records. Like it's, um, I think so too. I don't think it comes across, not to say anything negative about the singles, but I think you have to hear the record. Definitely. To, and so was it like tough to be like, what song can we show people first? Yes. Um, honestly, this was the hardest record I think we've ever had to try to pick singles because the singles that I had like chosen initially were totally different than what everybody else had chosen, but everybody had their own idea, I guess, of what the, that they wanted to showcase. But I think once we landed on like Genevieve and Skib and Buckley being the ones that were going to be the ones that everybody was going to hear first, it felt like, okay, this will at least give you the taste of just kind of sonically how weird this record can get. Like, especially with Skiv or like Buckley being this very kind of strange, um, not even a post rock thing, but it just has these very long passages that kind of grow and grow. Like it was really hard to pick what singles were going to be the things that were going to represent the record. But at the same time, it was like, if you dig our band or dig these singles, I think you're going to dig the record. Uh, but it really is something that I think you need to spend just 35 minutes putting headphones on and just like sitting and listening to, because I think you don't really get to hear what the record feels like until you do that. And it takes time to, I think it keeps opening up even now. Like I'll listen to the record. It's funny that I'm going back and like relearning some of the stuff to like practice. It's like, there's some stuff tracked in there that I'm like, Oh shit. I didn't realize there was a harmonica in here. Who, who did that? Like just moments like that, where it's like, it's even still opening up to me. And I think if people just sit and give it time, I think it's going to be something that people will also enjoy if they want to spend time, which is a risk, man, especially in 2022, when everything's distilled down to singles and two minute sound bites and TikTok and Instagram, it's like, 
we've never been that band. We will never be that band probably. So it's like, if you dig what we do, I do think that every single one of our records is something that is kind of a start to finish thing. But this record, especially, I think really needs to be listened to from start to finish. Yeah. And I feel like if you listen to Pianos Are Come to Teeth, then you're the kind of person who's going to sit down with the record. I think so too. And I think that's, that's kind of, we have the best fans in the world to where they get us. Like Mm -hmm. if, if you dig our band, you, you get like what we do. And I think it, it really isn't distilled down into like, you know, a two minute single with like four songs on the record that you're kind of whatever about. It's like, you just listen to the record and you'll, see where that one song fits into the bigger picture of the whole thing. Yeah, I definitely think that is the way it all kind of comes together. Because I, I especially like on the record too, I like there's, I don't know, maybe three or four parts that maybe count as heavy. Yeah, um, yeah, And yeah. it's like, they're so like, they're so earned, you know, like it's not just like, let's make a heavy song because like people think that we're a screamo band and we have to do that. Totally. It's like the heavy part comes at like, and it's such a sort of, release because you've waited eight songs for it or something you know thank you man that that Mm -hmm. like that that really is kind of like the i'm glad you picked up on that because i think like i think that's the best way to say it is like it's it gets to the point where it's earned where it's like yeah you can end every song with a giant big climax but if you do that every time if ever it's like if, if everything is loud then nothing's loud so it's like but if you have a couple moments where things are loud, then they're even louder than they might have been had it happened even more, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, something I've just been thinking about recently because, you know, I'm a nerd and I do stuff like this, um, is I love like when bands that are not considered heavy bands will have that moment because it's like so intense. Totally. When, totally. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, man. Yeah. Like it's like you look put you can listen to like the heaviest metal record in the world. But it's like by song four, it almost starts to, like you said, not be heavy anymore because it's like the expected is happening. Exactly. But if like an indie rock band has like a sludge metal part, you're like, what the fuck? Man, <laughs> dude, there's this, uh, um, the live tame, uh, yeah, it's the live tame and Paula record. They have like a, almost like a Sabbath, like stoner riff, like era in like the first 30 minutes of it somewhere in it that every time I hear it, I'm like, damn, what a awesome, awesome part. But had the whole record been that way, I probably wouldn't have thought that. So yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. For sure. I have to find that because I don't think I've heard their live record. Oh my God. I would man. love to hear them do some Sabbath stuff. It is insane. It's I, my boss plays it at the shop all the time. And it is just like every time the intro gives me chills every time because of just how insane it sounds like, it, it's just it's so cool you got to hear it it's awesome I'm definitely yeah that sounds killer yeah um so you have a tour coming up uh with some really cool other bands i mean you have like jerome's dream like screamo uh, legends like literally a dream like truly a dream no pun intended but like right. a, an actual dream to uh to be able you know and that's another thing of just being you know Years ago, we played like the the reunion show for you and I, which was like mm-hmm. a holy shit moment for me and Kyle, like being able to tour with Jerome's dream, being able to tour with Loma, honestly, was like one of the like, Sean, like all the Loma dudes were like, that was one of my favorite tours I've ever done because they were incredible. So it was like being able to do tours with bands that we've looked up to for so long or been influenced by for so long. It's just like how did I get here? Like, this is insane. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
it's actually cool too that like you're taking i mean not that jerome's dream existed back like 10 years ago but it's cool that you're taking them out on like the opposite of a screamo record totally your band yeah you know? yeah yeah like totally and i think and, like just talking to them about it, it's like they're stoked on it in the same way that we're stoked on it where it's just like we're just old dudes that just want to have fun man like we just want right. to we want to tour with bands that see the same thing that we do and it's just it's just all i mean we're just at the end of the day, man, we're just really simple people. Like we just, we just like having a good beer, hanging with, hanging with like friends that make good music and just, just kind of being quiet as much as like the the music maybe doesn't feel that way. Sometimes it's just like, we just, we just really dig kind of the simple parts of life. So being able to like have these opportunities of touring with bands that I never thought in my life that I'd ever have the opportunity to even see live, much less tour with, like, is mind-blowing to me. For sure. Um, so also on the tour, you have Cara Cara Dosser. I think, are you wearing a Dosser I'm shirt I'm wearing a Dosser right shirt yeah. right now, yeah. Um, and then Shout out Green to Eric. Tigers. He'll be. A, he'll have to listen to this. <laughs> yeah, hope so. <laughs> he, he will. I'll and force the, it. He's a friend of ours. I'll force awesome. it. Awesome. And then uh, Dream Tigers, which is like members of Caspian, yeah. I think Defeater and stuff. Yep. Um, so what made you pick those other three bands? So, well, one of the big things too was whoever, like the tour schedule's kind of like wonky and like be, being able to, to like, whoever wanted to kind of go on this kind of interesting journey with us where it's like, you know, it's not a month of one band doing one thing. It's like, we got to break it up into those cycles. So it was almost like, who would be interested in doing that? And, you know, we played with Kara Kara before. They were amazing, awesome, like super nice, like amazing people to even just hang out with. So the fact they were even into it was amazing. Dosser is almost like, it's it's a dream to take them out because they're just friends. And Eric, Eric, who plays bass in that band is, he's tour managed us since 2016, 15. So he's been around with us for like forever and he's been in local band. He's like, he actually was staying at our house all last week because he was taking care of my wife and I's cat and house sitting while we were at like going on vacation. It's just the opportunity of being able to like take out your friends that, you know, they're a Baltimore band that's working their ass off. And my whole thing has always been, I want to be able to take out like friends. I want, I, I always just want to get to a point to where, I can pay my friends to hang out with me, <laughs> like and get into that opportunity. And like that, that's always been like the, the goal of mine to just like constantly have fun. And, and, um, the fact that Jerome's dream even was able to do, it was just like a Holy shit moment for me. Um, but Sean, their one guitar player who also plays in Loma Prieta, like I hit him up and just asked him like, is it, I, I know you guys probably have a million things that you could be doing, but would you be at all interested in doing it? And the fact that he was like, we would love to do it. was just like, Oh, Holy shit. Okay. Let's, let's make this happen. Like whatever we have to do to make this happen, let's do it. Um, so, you know, we're really, really lucky to have the bands that are going to come out with us. And, you know, I think if people like, I will say, I think this will be the most fun shows that if people come to see us, like, this will be our first shows. This is the longest break we've ever had as a band in 15 years. So if people want to see probably the most like unhinged and craziest our band has probably been, it's probably going to be within these shows. So I'm, I'm really excited. Well, good to know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> better, better put that on my calendar now. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm stoked. I definitely want us to catch the tour. It should be really fun. Yeah, man. Um, 
are you like i mean like you said it's been a while is are you like excited nervous both to tour again oh man that is such a loaded question man i um i'm beyond excited but i've never in my life had the level of anxiety um that i have now um and i think that probably is compounding from a lot of things you know i i mean i think prior to pandemic prior to a lot like i think that my brain was always on the go, go, go kind of thing. Like I was always kind of sectioning out my life into month long intervals. Like, Oh, we're on tour for this month and we're recording here. And then I work here and then I do this. And I like, but now that stuff has like slowed down because everybody was kind of forced to slow down and stay kind of reclusive because you're at home and then relearning how to talk to people <laughs> when you're not talking to people for a long time. You know, I, um, I have, a uh, very palatable amount of anxiety um, that I've just, I've never really had before. And uh, I, um, I'm sure it comes with a wanting to be the best like band we possibly can be live for people. Um, so I'm sure like there's part of that to me. It's just like, Oh man, we haven't played in so long. Like I just want these shows to go. And you know, we pre we're practicing so, and it sounds great. So it's like, it'll be okay. It's just, you know, anxiety for me is a new thing that I'm really trying to like, um, kind of learn and cope with and doing all the best things I can to like take care of my mental health and really, you know, do yoga, go on runs, like really try to do stuff that's good for good for me mentally. And I think I'm getting to the place now where the excitement is overtaking the anxiety. But uh, I don't think the anxiety is going to go away, I think until probably after a couple shows in and um it's just a whole new world, man. Like, and it's, it's a, it's a, a hard thing to like be able to really know how to swallow and, and kind of just how to exist properly, like in the, in the ether that we are in now. And it's, it's a uh, definitely beyond exciting to, to go out on tour again and beyond excited to play shows. I mean, like, like I've been lucky enough to be able to have played some shows like for my own stuff, like over the last mm -hmm. year, but, um, this is just a whole new animal, like trying to like learn how to like redo this in a band atmosphere and then go to venues and like, it's, it, it's just a whole different thing. So I'm really excited, but, um, I'd be lying if I didn't say I was like shitting bricks, nervous, and also <laughs> just like beyond like the anxiety is definitely like very, very, uh, oh, I'm very aware of it. <laughs> sure. I mean, I feel like, the world we're in now has given a lot of people more anxiety than ever. Totally, man. Yeah. And it's a new thing that I've never really thought about so much. So it's like learning about it, learning how to cope with it and trying to figure out how to do it is like, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, we're all human and we all have to be kind to ourselves and be kind to those around us and do everything that we can as we're kind of relearning how to be human together. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, well, I think it'll be awesome. I mean, I just, think so. You know, yeah. Yeah. Even just like finally getting out and playing again, it's like, it's going to be cathartic, you know? Totally, man. I think that's yeah. the thing that I'm looking forward to is like just the release of it, just the feeling that it's going to be something like, oh, oh man, like we did it. Like I can't I'll wait for that. And honestly, I couldn't, I, I can't imagine being around, um, I'm very lucky to have the four guys that I have that are my kind of like rock in a lot of that stuff. Cause if I feel 
scared or anxious or nervous or feel weird about anything like you know all of us are always in each other's like best interests like are you good like what can i do how can i help you and we've always been in that boat of always trying to help one another be the best and help each other be be good and you know just uh, you know be a friend and you know i think this is going to be the tours tours that we're going to have to learn how to do that together and just really learn how to do these things together totally um well uh before you were saying how uh you know Dosser is like a also a Baltimore band and I don't know if it was you or another member but somebody had tweeted from the piano's account recently about like how awesome the scene in Baltimore is right now how much great music is coming yeah. out of Baltimore um and I mean I, like there's like the new praise record which oh, Kevin so and Brian McTernan also were both on and uh so it just feels like it's this whole little community of like people who work together and like totally man what it, like as a Baltimore music scene person like what is the scene like in, from to you like how would you sort of describe it to someone who hasn't man been there? oh my god it's it's like incredible in and in like so many ways so it's like and, and I'm not even probably as tuned in as some people are but like the fact the but the fact that the most eclectic like rounding of bands are coming out of here and I mean we have Beach House that is just you know giants but it's like you know, Beach House is a band that was playing like, you know, my wife's art, like school 10 years ago, like, you know, playing in their auditorium or not even their auditorium, but like a student's light center. Um, Future Islands are from here. You know, another band that's also you, you will see them at local shows just hanging and doing stuff. We have an incredible like metal scene. There's this band from here called Genocide Pact that is like their, their um, record that came out this year is one of my favorite records that's come out. Um so far this year, Kevin's band who actually recorded all these, you know, record all the records, his band Triac um, is like, they're like a, a grind, uh, like a grind band. And it's like, his band is incredible. Um, you got a lot of you know, like a Dosser, you have like a, a grunge, like rock stuff. You have us doing whatever the hell we are. And then like, kind of, I, I just think there's, so much happening. Oh man, I mean, JPEG Mafia is from Baltimore, you know, and you know, he's in LA now, I think, but like JPEG Mafia is from Baltimore. Butch Dawson is another incredible rapper from Baltimore. Like, we just have so much stuff happening on the like every angle of like between rock and hip hop and rap and metal and grind and punk. It's like there's not a place you can go without seeing it happen and i think baltimore is an interesting city because it, it lends itself to that kind of kind of not grunge in the sense of like the uh music side but kind of like the more industrial side of like a city you know it's like you go anywhere and, and, and the bands that are playing kind of reflect kind of the ambience of the city that they're in and i think there's something really cool kind of about um, these kinds of bands that are just like, not just blowing up, but just like doing incredible stuff. I mean, Turnstile, like primate, like the fact that we have Praise, Turnstile, Beach House, Future Islands, like it's, it, it's, it's, it's an honor to be a part of the music scene in the city. And I think that Baltimore tends to get overlooked in a lot of ways. Like, you know, most bands are going to do Boston, New York, Philly, and then probably skip over us and go to like maybe DC but maybe even skip over DC and go somewhere else. Like Baltimore just is like this hub that if people incubate long enough, you're going to have forever fans because people just love 
music and culture here and they love the the farther you can push it outside of its comfortable realms and i think that that's like i I can't ask for a better place to to have our band exist in and be accepted in because i don't think that i really don't think that we would be able to exist almost anywhere else just being you know we're not quite heavy enough for the heavy crowd we're not quite soft enough for the soft crowd we're not like Baltimore is the only place that I've ever really felt like home with a lot of that stuff. So, I mean, we're, we're really lucky to be a part of that. That's the exciting stuff though. When it's like not quite this for that. Totally. For this. Totally. You know, that's, when the, that's when the cool stuff happens. Exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. how you get bands that just want to keep pushing stuff and do something more interesting and different than they maybe would have done before, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that is what's really cool about your band and like a lot of the, you know, the peers we've talked about throughout this conversation, like, just kind of thinking about um, like if you compare like you guys and Touche and La Dispute and all these bands to like sort of the previous generation of like post-hardcore bands, like I don't know if you look at like Thursday or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I feel like, you know, those bands got really big at a time and this kind of music was really big and there was all these expectations from the media and from fans and from festivals and labels and all this like and major labels were involved and I feel like there was all this pressure to be something that people didn't necessarily want to be and I feel like you and your peers have like had this opportunity to like off the bat be like we're for the weirder people we're for the people we get and then so like when you like I mean if you look at like the records like La Dispute are making now like they're nuts and it's like you always knew they had that in them and you always wanted them to do it you know like and I think that's like I mean isn't that more exciting you know like I I, I don't don't ever want to put on a record from a band that I'm like into or even maybe I've never heard before whatever I never want to put on a record and just be like oh yeah that was what I expected like Mm -hmm. I always want to be uh and for better for worse maybe it's a detriment but I always want to be challenged like I I always exist in the ugly like I I I really love the uncomfortable the the stuff that most people are just like "Eh, I don't know if that's for me like I, I I like one like somebody made that for a reason and I like finding out that reason like, or, or diving in and figuring out why it sounds the way it does and why a band spent time or why an artist spent time making it sound this way or why the lyrics are this way or what, like, you know, one of my, another example is like an artist like Bon Iver where like, Mm -hmm. you know, going from this anthemic giant sound that he had on his self-titled record and then distill it down to 22 a million where it just feels like, a broken cassette tape that you found on the street. That mm-hmm. record, like even, I mean, I'm getting chills even thinking about it because like it, there's something about when I first heard that, that was like, it's almost like I'm reading somebody's journal. I shouldn't be reading. And it's like, those are the kind of artists that I always gravitate towards because I feel like you're trying to say something, but you're also trying to say something like sonically on top of lyrically that maybe most people are just going to pass by because they can't get past like the weirdness that it, that it already exists in. But those are the records that I'm always going to gravitate towards and just be like, man, why is this this way? I mean, I, I, it comes like a lot of pop artists do that too. Like a dude flume, his new record. Um, it is like pop music, but turned up to like a million where it's just so left field. I was a hu- still am a huge fan of Sophie. And like all these, mm-hmm. you know, hyper pop artists that were making stuff that like 
this shouldn't work, but it does on so many levels. And that is just the stuff that I just, I, I love existing in that realm of just trying to distill down an artist's reasons or why they're doing what they're doing and just really trying to like tap into that like mindset. Why did you make this? And if you made it for a reason, did you achieve your goal? And I, I don't know. I just, I, I love that stuff, man. I love it. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, this will sound pretentious. I don't mean it that way, but like, it's always fun when there's like a little bit of an entry barrier or like, totally, if, like totally. or if you don't like something at first and then you like it like a year later, I feel like it sticks with you in such a more impactful way than if you just kind of like off the bat, like solid and then you forget it exists. Totally, like, man. It's like when, and you always know those records when you listen to it the first time and you're like, oh, I don't know, but you mm-hmm. f- for some reason put it on again. Yeah. And then for some reason you put it on again and you just keep doing it. And then eventually you're like, shit, I actually love this because of this. And it's not, I feel like the records that I never want to exist in is the one that somebody listens to once. And they're just like, that was good. And then they never, never listen to it again because it's like, it never, it didn't fire those parts of your brain that made you want to say like, well, shit, why did this make me feel this way? Like, why did this, why did this do? I mean, when I was listening to like, early discord stuff it made me feel that way like the you know the rights of spring records or embrace or like any of those bands were like as a teen listening to them it was like i like this but i don't get it yet like i like i don't understand why it's making me feel this way but i like it so i should keep revisiting it and i've always wanted to be that which might pull you into the scope that maybe you won't be the biggest artist on earth but maybe you will cuz it's like who knew that like say something like Kevin Shields recording Loveless with you know a million guitar parts and you know what it sounds insane who knew that that would become what it would become he was making or you know they were making a record that they just wanted to make and that's that I, I I love that I just want to constantly challenge myself as well as the people that listen to us it's just like Hey man, it's for you too. Come on in, but you got to sit with it for a while. Like you got, you got to spend time with it before it'll open itself up to you. Just like a relationship, just like a friend, like you got to spend time because like the best things in life take time, man. I mean, they really take time for them to like develop to you. And that's always what I've loved. Totally. Well, before we go, is there anything else you want to shout out or add that we haven't talked about? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I'd say, like, if we're coming to your city on this tour, like, please come out. We'd love to see you. Like, we don't get to tour nearly as often anymore. And I don't, I, we're, we're in the same boat as everybody else is, where it's like, I don't know what touring will look like for, you know, our band, you know, in the, in the years to come or whatever, you know, it is. So it's just like any opportunity, especially now where it's like, live music was taken from everybody for so long that it's like in this opportunity, if we are coming to your city, please come hang. Uh, definitely want to shout out all the bands that we're touring with Dosser, Kara Kara, um, obviously drums, dream and dream tigers, like go listen to those bands, spend time with their records. Um, you know, I really, I don't know who will listen to this, but I miss all my, all my friends that I haven't had a chance to see in years, but like, um, yeah, man, I just, I think if people dig our band or if they're wanting to go on some sort of like ride with stuff, just put on when our record comes out, put it on, comes out August 26th, please just 
spend some time with it. It would mean a lot to us. And, you know, that is kind of the only hope that we, that we have is that people find their time with it. They really enjoy and hope people dig it as much as we dug making it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Mike. Hey man, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Like, I uh, hope we get to do this again soon. Totally. It'd be fun. Yeah. Hey, so thanks again to Mike. Thanks for listening. Go check out Drift, Catch Pianos on Tour, and uh, stay tuned for our next episode.